Welcome back to the third hour of the Tom Bernard podcast. We have technical difficulties, so the Florida contingent is, they're going to be really surprised at how well this goes, I think. <laughs> so pinch hitting for world-famous uh, Hall of Fame radio broadcaster, Doug Sprinthal. Mike Molina. L.A. Nick. And that's it. Wow. Yeah, we're here. And we'll be back with, with Louis Anderson. Anderson. Yes, and more of the Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant. Doug Sprinthal for Walzer.com. In the Twin Cities, we are currently recruiting uh, sales talent. This doesn't mean you have to be an uh, an experienced salesperson. Uh, Servers, uh, all these kind of people really, really do well under our system. We don't negotiate with customers. The pricing is already taken care of. So you just really need to uh, know a little bit about cars and be able to get along with people. We've got a 13-week paid training program. It is an hourly wage plus bonuses. Uh, so as a first-year salesperson in our, in our stores, you'll make somewhere between the low 40s and the low 50s, and you can move up uh, from there rather quickly. So if you're interested in these positions, go to walzer.com, hit careers, and check them out. Or you can email me directly always at doug at walzer.com. Walzer Automotive, walzer.com. Nice. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Well, this, that song. this should be an absolute blast. For those of you tuning in, uh, <laughs> you've got the B squad here. Tom and Catherine are in some sort of feedback loop trapped in Florida. So L.A. Nick and Mike and myself will carry on. We've got a Catholic guy, a heavy metal drummer, and a used car salesman. This should be pretty interesting. And we've got Louie Anderson coming on. Yeah, I think Mike's trying to contact him right now. So give us the review of the Judas Priest con- concert. You know, Saxton was the big surprise. Saxton, uh, most people in America don't really know Saxton. I was just going to say, for those of us that might not know who Saxton is. So Saxton had a couple big hits in early, early days of metal, and uh, they were the the surprise. They came out just raging, and the crowd just went nuts over Saxton. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So how big is this tour? Do you know how long they're going to go out? Uh, It's a big tour. Oh, it is? Yeah. Now, are they going to have different uh, warm-up bands, or is Saxon's? Nope, I think Saxon's on the whole, whole bill. Wow, how yeah. cool is that? Because it's British. You know, it's British. Oh, I suppose. It's all British. You know, it's the British invasion. 
Uh, Louis is going to reschedule. Just, I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> you heard it was us, and he was like, uh-oh. Oh, no. Thanks a lot. I hate that guy. Really? <laughs> I wanted to talk to Louis. I had a couple of questions I wanted to ask him. Well, no Louis. Now we're, now we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I do have to say that, that that venue has changed things in the city of Minneapolis. They're bringing in all kinds of different acts. I mean, every genre. And the venue is just spectacular. For those of us that don't know, it is... The Armory, and it's right in the heart of downtown Minneapolis. And it, it they really did such a great job, and I was really impressed with their staff. And I was impressed with the whole thing. It I, I got to check that place out, because the last time I was there, and I think it was only three years ago, I parked my car in there, and the place was such a dump. I'm like... <laughs> I don't even really want to. Well, I think I want to well, leave I my think car they put here. Like fifty million dollars. They must have. Oh, it, and it is, it is really nice. So I got. I went. It was my second time there. I went to the Super Bowl party for Directv there. They had J Lo playing, but there was hardly anybody there. Really? Yeah. I mean, like maybe a thousand people. Now, Mike, maybe you know the answer to this. Is that where the uh, Lakers played? Did they play at the Armory? Uh, I don't know. I've, I, I assume. Yeah. That, I think that, that they did. Well, they have all the uh, vintage. Posters hanging up of okay. stuff that went on there, and the Lakers did play there. Okay. They also had dirt, dirt, uh, flat track racing in there. Motorcycle racing yep. was inside there, and uh, yeah, there was a lot, and a lot of bands played there. Lots of bands. Aerosmith. Aerosmith actually did a video there not that long ago. Really? Yeah, when it was a parking lot. <laughs> they did that. Uh, forget the one of their ballads or. They did a, the video inside the armory. I'll have to check that out. Because they liked it when they played there. I think Jimi Hendrix, when he his time that he came to the Twin Cities, I think that he played that there as well. Speaking of Jimi Hendrix, have you heard the new release stuff? Uh, the uh, Probably not what you're talking about. There's like five new tracks just came out. Oh, no, I haven't heard those. What I did get, which is uh, is one of my favorites, and it's really interesting, uh, he Jimi Hendrix recorded on New Year's Eve at Madison Square Garden with a group called the Band of Gypsies. It was Buddy Miles and Billy Cox. And it's a very famous record, sold millions of copies, and it's great. Well, this is a release of the first set that night. Apparently, they did two shows. And so what's really interesting, if you go to most big doe rock shows, they're pretty much the same night tonight. Oh, every they, yes. they might change up the set list a little bit. Right, right. But even though, but for Hendrix, even though these were the same songs, they were all in different orders, and they sound they were completely different versions. I mean, right. it's just crazy that they could do that in those days. And but I guess you know, if you're an improvising musician, you, you can get away with that. It's like a jazz musician. Yeah, there's there's bands that do that every yeah. every time you see them, they're different. Priest is the same every you follow them across the country. It's the same exact show. Well, especially if you've got the big tech support like yeah. sound effects and sure. buzz bombs, sure. and you got to coordinate a lot of people yeah. to get that and, to look good. And if you're in your 70s. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Years ago, this is middle of the recession, I went to uh, as a Honda dealer show in Vegas, I think it was. And uh, what's the guy from Styx? Dennis DeYoung was the entertainment. Yep. And they came out, and, and I was surprised, you know, because he was in his 70s then, and he did a really nice job. And the band was super tight. And there was maybe, I don't know, a 1,000 of us watching it. So it's the end of the show, and he stands on stage, and he goes, okay, here's the deal. Now, normally, at this point in the show, you know there's one hit song that we haven't played yet, and we have to do that. So we go backstage, and we make you guys clap and all that sort of stuff, and then we come back out and play. But, you know, I'm 70 effing years old. I could drop that, so I'm just going <laughs> to hang out here for a minute, and, play and then we'll just play the song. How's that? I mean, he was so much fun. Priest kind of did that 
Monday night. They didn't really go off and let everybody chant priest, priest, priest. They just pretty much said, you know, this is this is our this is our encore stuff, yeah. and like this is the stuff you want to hear. And they played it. That's cool. pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's nice to have a little fun with it and humbleness, especially when you've had a really, really long career like that. Those you know, guys. a lot of people were, were complaining online because K.K. Downing's not in the band, and Glenn Tipton, people think he's not in the band, but Glenn Tipton was actually here Monday, and I actually personally saw him at the Grand Hotel, but he has Parkinson's, and some days oh, he can play and some days he can't play. So, unfortunately, at our show here in Minneapolis, he played Chicago two nights ago, but he did not play Minneapolis. Because his Parkinson's was kicking in, so it's and you know these people are all negative. Oh, it's not really Judas Priest. It's just, like you, you know, like grow up. Right? It just makes me mad. Yeah. I mean, it really does. It's like, come on, the dude's got Parkinson's. He was there. He played two nights ago in Chicago. He just couldn't play that night. So I, I wasn't offended. I felt like I got my money's worth. Yeah. I mean, the guy who played for him was amazing. Yeah, I think if you're Judas Priest and you get you get the casting call out there, say, "Hey, we need a guitar player. Anybody want to do it?" Yeah, you're gonna get a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 old and they're gonna have physical problems. Well, one of my favorites is coming to town. I think in the middle of May, Todd Rundgren uh, put is put reunited Utopia, but right when they were gonna go into rehearsals, the keyboard player said, "Look, I, I physically can't do this." So. Todd's a little, he's an odd duck. One of the things I like about him. So he yeah, puts out an open call on Facebook and on his page. Hey, if you know the songs and you think you can make us, send us a tape and uh, <laughs> rehearsal start in two weeks. It'll be really interesting that's to one see of what best, he comes up with. One of the best shows I've ever seen was Todd at the Philadelphia Zoo. Yeah, I've seen him probably six or seven times over the years, and every show is fabulous, and they're and, all different. And you know what's amazing? Today's generation doesn't even know who he is. No, no, they wouldn't. No. I just saw him two years ago at the Ames Center in Burnsville, and if you're if you're not that familiar with him, I mean you can find him on YouTube, obviously. But he is a he's a really gifted songwriter. He almost he's not really a rock writer. His songs he was, really sound like Broadway. But he was huge. In the, in, he was. He was huge. I mean, he was like. But that guy can sing. Yes, he, he can. went flat out for ninety minutes, and he's got about a two octave range, which is a yeah. lot. And 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 he he's got to be seventy two, and he just he yeah. sounded like it was nineteen seventy two. It sounded like you know, "Hello, Same. It's Me" had just come out. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. Well, most of them don't. I don't know. I've I've been going to a lot of shows, and these guys are impressing me. You know, Robert Plant can't do well, that. Well, no, Robert Plant stuff can. Robert Plant Although can. this new kid can. Have you heard uh, Veta? Yeah, uh, yeah, Greta yeah, Van Fleet. Yeah, he can. That's that's amazing. And then if you look at him, the you know Robert Plant's like bigger than me, and this the, the kid problem is, is about the, 100 the, pounds. But the problem is he sounds they sound too much like Zeppelin. Yeah. So they're getting a lot they're getting a lot of grief like all oh, Zeppelin ripoff band. I don't know. I, I dig them. I think that they're pretty but they're not, cool. They're not. They're hitting in Europe, but they're not hitting in America. Yeah. Well, I think they're about to release their first record, aren't they? I think it already is. Oh, is it out already? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, coming back to town, on May 17th, uh, your buddy's buddy from RISD, David Byrne, ah. is coming. And I love the Talking Heads, so. Yeah, Talking Heads are amazing. So a friend of mine from high school, we had a band together. He went to Brown. So Brown is on top of a hill in Providence, Rhode Island, and RISD is the Rhode Island School of Art and Design. It's slightly down the hill, but it's 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 right next to the Brown campus. So his second year, I, we, I was this guy was a really good friend of mine. We're writing back and forth, and. 
He goes, hey, I moved out of the dorms and I moved into a house with a bunch of musicians. And, you know, one of these guys is kind of crazy, but this pretty cool band they're putting together, and I really dig them. I'm like, well, who is that? And he goes, well, they call themselves the Talking Heads. So <laughs> my friend lived with David Vernon and a couple really? of these guys, and this would have been 76, because I think Talking Heads 77 was their first album. And, of course, yeah, it's... Where's that show, Mike? Uh, the Orpheum. Oh, cool. No, that'll, is he? That'll sell know, out quick. It, do you know what he's playing? Is he doing Talking Heads catalog or David Byrne stuff or a little both? Uh, a little or? bit both. But actually, you know, I mean, I've heard like uh, more Talking Heads stuff than he's done before. Oh, cool. So, yep, that'd be a band I wish they would get back together. Yeah. How come? What happened with that band? Why did they? David Byrne. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might be a little problematic to work with. <laughs> oh, there's great. I mean, you talk about Zeppelin, uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, the police, there's so many bands that, you know, you would wish could just muster it up and, hey, come on. Well, you think at a certain age they would just give it up and, saw, and play it and get back together. I saw the police on their van tour, their first tour of the U.S. they did in the van, and Roxanne had just broke, and I saw him at First Avenue, and I thought, you know, that's a pretty cool tune, but these guys, these are one-hit wonders. They're, when are you going to ever hear from them again? Yeah, the police was a big fan. 50 man. billion album sales later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And a lot of great They teams. lasted a long time. They did. They had a great run. And he, I thought the same thing with U2 when U2 came out. I was like, this fan ain't never going to fly. U2 is funny because they, they go from they're great for a number of years, and then they're kind of crappy for but a when, few I'm years, saying, and when they, they get first, great again. When they first broke out on yeah. the scene, I'm like, this band's not going to yeah. make it. But look, they, they're still a monster band. Yeah, they were great last year. I went to go see them at U.S. Bank when they did Joshua Tree. And oh, yeah. It was, the only thing, though, is U.S. Bank. I heard the song not was met, yeah, terrible. Not meant for... Uh, Concert. I'm sure it's great for a Viking game, but uh, concert. What well, was just a lot of sound bounce? Yeah, it was just all over the place. I haven't seen a live show there yet. I don't you saw Guns N' Roses. Oh, that's right. I seen Guns N' Roses, but I was, you know what? I was behind the PA. Okay. So I didn't probably didn't hear that bounce because if you sit behind the PA, hmm. you're hearing stage volume. So, but as far as uh, local venues, I mean, I've yet to be to the Armory, but the yeah. X is still great. The X, I would say. Yeah, the X has great sound. Yeah. Okay. I like the smaller ones. I like the state and the Orpheum. I can't believe Metallica's playing Target Center. Yeah. Well, speaking of small venues, like last year, uh, turns out, did not know that Darkest Day was there with me, or he was In probably five room. feet. Yeah. Uh, went to see Sting at Myth. Oh, really? And I was like this close to Sting, and I was like, wow. And I paid <laughs> like fi- 40 bucks. That was great. That's not very much. That's no, kind of, no. That's kind of sad. Sting's playing the mess for well, no, bucks. he meant to do. I mean, he just uh, he did all small venues. Oh, he did. It was okay. just all oh, like there were okay. no arenas or stadiums or anything. Well, Springsteen so. just did that. Uh, he did yeah. a one-off in New York, the place that sat like what six hundred people or something like that, and the tickets were forty or fifty bucks. Well, the scalp value oh, went up to about yep. six grand. Yeah, it was crazy because I just remember like it, it'll be eleven years uh, when Zeppelin got back together for that one-off concert, and I. Everybody who, you know, wanted a ticket, they did it where uh, you just entered your email or whatever, and it sure enough comes back, and you're like, yeah, you're not getting in. Yeah. It's 20000 and there's however many yeah. millions of people. Well, that's bad. I mean, in the old days, you, you were young enough, you didn't have to go through this misery. You had to line up outside to get wristbands to get tickets, and if it was the Stones or somebody like that, it was two days. Mm-hmm. You had to commit to standing at I uh, See, it was different in Philly. In Philly, I would go and... You go to Ticketmaster, and you didn't get to pick where you where your seats were. You just paid eight bucks. They handed you your ticket, yeah. and you got what you got. And I don't know. I, I always went to great shows and had always got great seats. 
But I learned my lesson because I thought like Billy Joel and Elton John were coming to town and I really wanted to go. So I was going to do what you guys did back yeah. in the day and they were at the X. This is uh, 2009. I get there the day before and I'm like, I got my, th- this guy comes from the X staff, the ticket booth. He's like, yeah, you cannot camp out. Like it's a total random raffle is the way we do it. Like you're not going to be first in line because the way the X does it and it's stupid is that there's a two hour window where anybody can show up. You get a number. Yeah. And then after the two hours, they pick a random number out, and that the line starts at that number. So I'm like, oh, that was... Are you was, kidding? I was like, that is the stupidest thing. I'll tell you, the I best, the best way to get tickets is to get an American Express card. That's right. Yep. And get early, you get early, you get to get tickets early. Or like a lot, a lot of the bands, if you join their fan club, you can get you yeah, know, into true. the pre-sale yep. yeah. as American well. Express has been great to me for getting tickets. They I, give you like a yeah, five-day pre-sale. Five days before they go on sale, you can buy a ticket. I paid a lot for them, but last year, my wife and I are a big John Mayer fan, and they had a pre-sale, and we got, I think, 10th row at the X, and he was wow, he was great. He really is just... He's either great or he's not. Well, him. you know, some of those songs that he writes, like Body so is great. a Wonderland, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. dude, what is wrong with you? And then he gets out with a trio, and he's doing Hendrix covers. Uh, and he yeah. can play the guitar, that's for sure. He can play guitar. guitar player. Yeah. But sometimes he's just out there. Yeah. Just something with him. Just seems. I, I'm a fan. I've become a fan over the years. I don't. I don't love every single song that he's written. But even some of his kind of softer, more reflective stuff, um, uh, "Born and Raised," is a, just a great album. It's kind of reminds you of Neil Young's "Harvest" a little bit. Kind of that feel. Yeah. Really Same good vibe. songwriting, and and he's just a blazing guitar player. Well, sounds like we're going to take a little break and we'll be back with more rambling rock and roll trivia from Mike and Nick and Doug in the Tom Bernard podcast. Did you know that 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so... I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you know how important it is to have the right doc. That's why you should know about flow docks. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. They're completely modular so you can configure them to your family's needs or add on as your family's needs grow. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make, right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flow is about making things easy. My friends at Flow also told me that hockey star Ryan Suter bought a Flow dock and lift as he wanted the best for his family. See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at floeintl.com, Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way.
And we are back. The Tom Bernard Podcast. Technical difficulties in Florida preclude the A-team from being on the show, so the pinch hit squad is here. Uh, Doug Sprinthal. Mike Molina. L.A. Nick. <laughs> it's as smooth as when Tom does yeah, We're it. here. <laughs> <laughs> he misses the drops all the time and steps yeah. on people, so heck with it. So we were talking rock trivia in the last uh, segment, and the, between the three of us, we could fill the rest of the week with that, but we might we might be good to have a little variety, too. A lot of people don't know this, but my good friend on my right here, L.A. Nick, is a huge motorcycle enthusiast and has a massive collection. Nick, well, many, I wouldn't say massive, but... Okay, how many bikes do you have, dude? I, don't, I lose count. I got... Because I got some getting shipped right now. Okay, but, you, when you lose count, it's massive. <laughs> I mean, for most people that have a motorcycle well, no, collection, you, it's like if, three. If you go to my website which is mayorofminneapolis.com, the word mayor of Minneapolis, or rock in this town. They're both the same website. Okay. Um, you go to videos and watch the first video. That's a massive collection. John Carlos Morbidelli in Pesaro, Italy, has a massive collection. Okay, but so you're slightly less massive. He has like seven football field rooms full oh of bikes. Oh, God. It's insane. You haven't watched that video yet? No, I haven't. Oh, if you, have to and watch if, it. if you Google Holy Grail of Motorcycles, it's the first video to come up, and it's me narrating it. And it's just, you'll be blown away. But I, I try to find bikes that no one else has. It's like, you can't buy it no matter how much money you have yeah. because there's not one for sale. So they're the bikes that I try to find. So and do you have like 100, would you say? No. no. 50. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a small collection. Oh, cut it out. Small collection. But I do have some really cool bikes. I just got my latest one that's just it's being shipped to me right now is called an RG500 Gamma. And they're ultra rare in America because they were never legal in America. And it's a square four okay. two-stroke, which has and it has two cranks. And they Oh, so each pair of cylinders has its own crank? Yes. It's a really, really unique designed motor. It was a GP bike. It was one of the first bikes sold to the public that was a factory race bike. And so who, who makes it? Uh, Suzuki made them. Okay. In 1987, there was only 500 produced. Um, most of them were raced. Most of them were gone. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had somebody do a title search. I found three, including mine, in America. So Wow. That, that are tagged. So there's probably others in collections that aren't tagged. Um, I My friend bought it when it was two years old, and I've been asking him for 30 years to sell it to me. <laughs> so this is pretty much a flat-out race bike. A flat-out race bike. So and how he, long it, can you ride one of those around here? I don't, I don't mean time of the year. I mean, can you do before your butt just wants to die? Because I imagine that they're a little stiffly suspended. Um, well, they're full adjustable suspensions. Um I'm a big GSXR first generation fan too. They're called slab side Jixers. Anybody who is Jixer fans, they know what slab side is. You can ride that bike all day. Okay. Like literally all day at, at 170 miles an hour. Nice. And super comfy. That's that one. That bike particularly is the first bike I ever felt. You don't ride on that bike. You ride in that bike. Mm -hmm. It completely surrounds you. Like you're in it. It has a very low seat and a very high windscreen, and you're in it. And you become one like a marble. Like you, you actually feel like you're a marble. And like you almost can't crash. You know, I, I rode a bike like that once. It was a friend's. I mean, it was, had, it was way too much power for me. It was, too, it was the uh, Suzuki. What is it? The uh, uh, No, uh, Hirabashu. Oh, uh, 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 
No. Uh, uh, hey, you know what it is. I do. Uh, I, see, I stopped riding. Hi, Busa. Yeah, that's right. I stopped riding bikes 18 years well, ago. Well, Hi, is, is, is it? Is it's a, insane. G, it's a GSXR on steroids. Yeah. I mean, that's a 200-mile-an-hour bike out but, of the box. But I remember riding that, and I didn't get on it, but I was doing 140 or 150. Oh, like that. Like, like that. What this, I, here, you know, it just doesn't. What, it seems what, like you're kind of going slow. What I don't understand. So my 87 Jixer, the tack doesn't start moving until you hit two. Or three. Yeah. At at four, you're at 150 miles an hour in any gear. It doesn't redline till 11. <laughs> but what are you doing at 11? <laughs> are you just like doing somersaults backwards? I would think so. I mean, where, what are you doing at 11? Probably I, trying to figure out where you can buy new underwear. <laughs> I, I, so and then I just got a new, but I already have this one in my house. It's I'm a big Benelli fan. Benelli was a Italian motorcycle company made in Pesaro, Italy, and I'm a big fan of Pesaro. Yep. And my very first bike was a six-cylinder Benelli Say, which was the first inline six ever made in the world. Um, Benelli also made the first. It's been in- a pretty long motorcycle. It's not. Really? Very small. So huh. it's just like a Honda 750, but two extra cylinders. Okay. The casting of the motor, everybody says they copied from Honda. Oh, oh Because that's it right. looks the, exactly the, the same. Well, didn't Honda make a 6? They it, made a the CBX. CBX? It's a yep. tank, though. Yeah. It's a big, heavy, yeah, big, are, wide tank. I remember those. They're actually coming up in value right now, though, CBXs. They're getting good money for CBX. But I'm a big Benelli fan, so I I have a lot of Benelli, older Benelli's, 500 Quattro, and I had to say, and I have some single-cylinder two-strokes. But they have some... They had some brand new ones that they put out in 2008 and 9 that were super bikes, and they were plagued with problems, and they never kind of made it to America, mm-hmm. but I still wanted one. And uh, I went over to Pesaro, and I talked to Paul Marconelli, who, who is in char- char- he's in charge of Benelli Official over in Pesaro, and he said, yeah, they're plagued with problems, plagued with problems, but once you work all the problems out, they're a- an amazing motorcycle. So I start searching for one that has all the bugs worked out, mm-hmm. and I find one. You know, it's, it's it was a race road race bike, but never down mint condition, and I'm on I'm on I'm bidding on it. It's at an auction, and a friend of mine goes, "Oh, I have I have this trick. It's called sniper bidding. They'll bid the last split second. You'll win." So I'm like, "All right, go ahead and do it." So last se- second comes, I put this amount in, and it says. You've been outbid it. And I was like, what? So I called the guy who owned the bike because I had already talked to him yeah. before. And I said, listen, can you call the guy who won the bid and tell him I'll give him $1,000 cash if he drops out and lets me buy it? So he calls him, calls me right back. Goes, the guy said no. <laughs> I'm like, what? And I'm all mad. So I call him back the next day. And I said, hey, call the guy again yeah, and tell him I'll give him 1500 bucks if he drops out. Let's be, he calls me back. Goes, the guy said he'll do it. You know who really said I'll do it? It's the guy's <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> oh, no. I think the guy selling it took the money. Uh, yeah, maybe he did. I think the guy that was auctioning it off and just called stiff, the guy and, and said, you know guy. what? I'm not selling it anymore and took my 1500 bucks. Yeah. Well, you wound up with a bike. You and then on. you know what? And it's a be- this bike is gorgeous. I mean, one of the prettiest bikes I've ever seen. And right. it's, a, it's a 1130 Benelli. And it's like no bike anybody in America has ever seen. When anybody sees it, they go, what is that? Like, this doesn't look like anything you've ever seen. So what's the worst bike you've ever owned? I know what mine is, was. 
you know what? I haven't had that many. I've never owned that many bad bikes that were bad, like had constant problems. But I always, I always owned Japanese or Italian, so I never, you know, I never had a Harley. I had one, and that was the worst bike ever. And it was an AM, AMF Sportster. It was just the worst of the worst. Yeah. It was slow, and it didn't handle good, and it didn't stop. And it probably it's, broke a lot. Oh God, it was awful. Yeah, I never had a. I think every bike I've ever had has been pretty good. In fact, I might Benelli say they were, they were. Everybody said, "Oh, they're problem bikes." I put like 120,000 miles on that bike before I did anything to it. Wow! Before I touched it, it started jumping out of second gear. And I called Benelli, and they go, "Oh yeah, we made an upgrade kit for that. We'll send you one right out." They sent it to me for no charge. And just when I was in Pesaro, Italy, in September, a guy drove from, I think he lives in Spain. He lives in Spain. Yeah. Drove all the way to Pesaro. It's a like That's a, a long, haul. long haul. And he drove on an 1130 Benelli. And when he got about 150 miles outside of Pesaro, something happened with his bike. Well, his buddies were riding too. So they ended up getting the bike called into Pesaro, and the Benelli factory's right there. They go, oh, we'll take a look at it. And I guess one of the tips of a spark plug broke off and fell into a piston, and oh. shattered the piston, and blew the motor up. This is, how, this is how the Italians do it. They go, don't worry, no worry, no worry, no worry, we fix, we fix. They put a crew together in the factory, put a new motor in this bike, gave wow. it back to them the, the next day. Wow. For free, didn't charge him a dollar. Yeah, the AMF people were not that generous. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, Benelli has sold the name to China. And China is making a decent bike, but they're not making any super bikes. They're yeah. 600s, the biggest they're making, 60 horsepower. So. All right, so here's another question for you. What's the longest straight-through ride you've done? I would say the longest I've ever done is the from Key West, Florida, all the way up to da- Daytona, nonstop. Okay, so that's what? That's six five hundred miles. And I don't think I've ever did ever went under a buck forty. Wow! The whole time out, out of Key West. Yep, it was on two US of us. One. It was me. It was me and my friend Nigel. We were both on GSXR eleven hundreds. This was in eighty seven. And uh, Tubbs and Crockett must have been off that day. Well, we had a trooper was on an island and tried to bang a Yui. And right when he hit the asphalt, we were like 20 miles ahead. It was just like, <laughs> no, no way. Wow. Those Jixers, and I tell you what, that, the reason why that 86, 87 GSXR 1100, it changed motorcycle quality motorcycles to aircraft quality motorcycles. Well, like, well we talked about this because I owned a GS 1000 original year of 77. Which was the forerunner of that bike. Right, that was a motorcycle about. technology motorcycle. Yeah. But 86, that Jixxure turned into aircraft yeah. quality. Aluminum, everything, just, it just changed history of motorcycles. Yeah. It really did. And it t- still, to this day, I get on that bike and go, just holy crap. I mean, they're just incredible. So that, that, bike, will never, that bike will never die. It'll, it'll live th- through motorcycle history. It's just and those are the bikes that I'm, I collect. I want those bikes, those groundbreaking bikes. The H1s, H2s, the Kawasaki triples. They were two strokes. I had so. a Kawasaki triple. Yeah, that they, thing was scary. It was know, a 500, and it was. You know, they're 20 grand today. That's just unbelievable. 20 grand they are. Because I think I paid 400 for mine. Yeah, they're 20 grand. When I was in college. And if you, when you hit the throttle on thing, you had no idea oh, what, what it was going to do. The frames would twist. They were terrible. I know somebody put a 750 motor in a 500 frame and the whole frame twisted. <laughs> but yeah, they're $20,000 for those? They're 20 grand. Yeah, find a nice one. They're 20 grand. You know, I don't know 
I, I think I'm a little older, and you, me- you maybe you remember these, but when I was a kid, the hot bike to ride was a, a Schwinn crate, either an apple crate or yeah. an orange crate, oh, yeah. and so on and so yeah. forth. And they were, I don't know, they were probably 80 or 100 bucks. They're grand. Those are, no, they're uh, nice ones up to three. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I see. I'm thinking, okay, so the what? The with the fifth, shifter? Yeah, it had the, the banana shifter. seat yeah, and the, the shifter. big shifter and the, the, sparkly, and the drum the brakes in the front. Seat. Yeah. Yeah. They were cool looking. Oh, they were cool. Yeah. The only problem without those stick shifts when you were a kid. One-handed. You usually wind up racking your nuts bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you'd run yeah. into a curb or a car. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get one of those bikes. That was right before. That was my sister's generation. She was a couple years older than yeah. me. My generation went all 10-speed. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was... Kind of in both generations. So. Yeah, I the rode my bike. Cool. I rode my bike everywhere. And then my parents bought me an AMC Gremlin go kart. What? Yeah. So my dad, my dad somehow got this brand new AMC Gremlin go kart from AMC. It was like a promotional thing. Yeah. And uh, I drove that thing everywhere. <laughs> Little, yeah. I, mean, I was like 14, 13. I'm driving on the roads, and I'm uh, so, uh, <laughs> sheriff took me home. Fought, made me follow me home and went up to my parents and said he can't drive this thing on the streets because i was like on like a secondary freeway like you know oh good <laughs> in this little car briggs and stratton little <laughs> it was fast it was a fast little go-kart though wow had like a six i think it had six horsepower briggs and stratton on it and it was a blue gremlin and it had stickers for the headlights and said the amc on the side That'd probably be worth some dough today you know it's kind of funny all that stuff that we grew up with as kids Oh, now. it's all. I just, in fact, I, I I buy out of states and I found a brand new, remember Action Jackson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I found a brand new Action Jackson uh, camper set, unopened, and I bought it for 30 bucks. And it's worth $10 million. No, but I put it on eBay and I think it sold for 230 or 240 Wow. And it sold it one day, so... Yeah, how much, how much, you sell a lot of stuff on eBay. Don't I you? sell a lot of stuff on eBay. Is it yeah. a hobby or? Yeah, it's fun. It's something to do on Saturday and Sundays. I hit just go to all the dead people's houses and buy their stuff from their kids. And so I know you're not a big bicycle rider, but the, you've heard of Penn Cycle, right? Oh yeah, of course. It's probably one of the, that, those guys and Eric's are the two biggest ones yeah. in town. I think. In fact, Eric started out as a kid working for. Penn. I think Eric's is probably the biggest right now. So I got to know the guy that owns uh, Penn Cycle, and I asked him how he how it started. Well, we're going to have to uh, divide this scintillating um, Twin City bicycle story in half. I'm going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Podcast. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost Weight Loss Plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutramost is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client and owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. 
That's 763-333-7337. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl. And after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners. Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindahl team is hosting our SellerWorkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free. So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch? Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Chris Lindahl team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to SellerWorkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket. The Seller Workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited, and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit SellerWorkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. We are back. Tom Bernard Podcast. We are pinch hitting for Tom and Catherine, who are trapped in an echo loop in their home in West Palm Beach. Bad wiring, bad seafood, something's bad. So pinch hitting for those guys, Doug Sprinthal. Mike Molina. LA Nick. And we have a special guest here on just a minute. I want to finish up the story about Penn Cycle, and I'll make it quick so we can get to our guest. So Pat's father was an airline mechanic at Republic, and he had a big family, and he used to buy bikes for his kids, fix them up, and then let them ride them. So he decided that he was going to sell them because he needed to get new bikes for his kids. And so he was going to buy used ones in the paper, gets a Saturday paper, buys a bunch of bikes, fixes up the old ones and puts them on the market and goes to work. Mom sells them all in two hours. Oh, yeah. And old so bikes are that money, he man. Turned it in, he, he, he turned it into a business. That's how Penn Cycle started in the 60s. Anyway, as our guest here, Varla, Varla, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. We, we've had tons Woo! of technical difficulties. <laughs> Tom and Catherine are stuck in an echo loop in Florida. I heard. So yeah, you have the, I, you I have the B squad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's unfortunate. So welcome back. I understand you were on last week talking about the uh, weepy voice killer. Is that right? No, that was um, the weepy voice killer came up just before I came on. I was talking <sighs> Malina, about I'm gonna the kill you. <laughs> poor farm cemetery, actually. So it was, it's a, a kind of a lost and hidden cemetery in Maplewood, basically in St. Paul. So I was talking about that. Oh, yes, I remember this. Yeah. Yes, and, I remember um, I know we don't have a ton of time because the show ends at 3, so I, I do have another story for you. And your banter has been so delightful, I'm afraid I might bring the, the oh. Oh, no, you down won't. with my dark and gruesome story. I think that's I impossible. Think. Varla, we had, <laughs> we had 30 minutes of material, that, and we were done, so we jammed yeah. it in. You take it, sister. You go. Well, you did it just fine. Yeah. So um, this story uh, took place or takes place in White Bear Lake, which is north of St. Paul, if anyone's familiar with yep. it. It's essentially a little town or suburb. And I happened to be walking along the shores of White Bear Lake one day when I saw a plaque that I thought, oh, historical plaque. I'm a nerd. I'll read that. And I'll tell you, my jaw dropped when I read the story. Um, essentially, uh, I'll just jump back in time. Uh, this, many of the lakes in the Dakota and Ojibwa area, in, which is now Minnesota, used to have um, burial mounds alongside the lakes. 
and White Bear Lake was no exception. There were um, between nine and ten documented burial mounds alongside the lake that belonged to ancestral Dakota, probably 1400 to 1700 CE is what they were dated at. And um, move forward into the 1800s, and you have primarily white settlers coming west into Minnesota and um, establishing towns. And and White Bear Lake was a bit of a resort town at the time. There were a couple of resorts along the lake. It was a place where people could take a break from the the bustle of St. Paul and Minneapolis and come up in vacation. A little historical fact, uh, James J. Hill, who was a huge uh, railroad tycoon in the 19th century, uh, he had a, his a mansion in St. Paul right across from the cathedral, and his farm was up on White Bear Lake. And that's a lot of the St. Paul people would go up there in the summertime to relax. Right. He's kind of made it, was uh, instrumental in making it a popular place to um, have your summer home. Uh, so, of course, at one time it was not just a summer home, but it was a sacred area for the Dakota. Um, as the area grew, these burial mounds were kind of on the shore of the lake, and you had a couple of developers of resorts saying things like, oh, you know, I, it's blocking my view. Like, this mound is blocking my view. And you had one man in particular who um, had essentially had a burial mound on his property. He later kind of became an advocate that it not go away, but he basically he built a gazebo on top of it and had a little summering picnic area on top of this sacred uh, sacred area. And, and that was quite common in the Victorian era, especially you see these pioneer images of people who have uh, been banished from their homes. And then you have like women in Victorian corsets and stuff like picnicking in the wigwam and, you know, kind of smiling for photos as people were completely, um, you know, uh, booted from their, mm-hmm. their homes and sent to uh, lands far away. So anyway, now you have this burial mound and you have this lovely little gazebo on top of it. And a big storm knocks it down and the man rebuilds it. And um, there's a lot of people in the town that aren't liking it. You've got the people who want to develop the shoreline to kind of even it out. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is. It looks like a hill, but it's actually something very sacred. And uh, then you have the incident. And the incident was essentially a carriage was riding along the Lakeshore Drive there in between the town and the lake and the, the mounds. And um, it was a carriage full of people heading to Stillwater. And the entire the horses were spooked. And for whatever reason... They completely broke out of control, and there was a terrible accident, and one man was killed, and several people were were injured. And after that, um, it became critical that these mounds be destroyed, essentially. So, uh, you know, it took a couple of years and different people going back and forth. In fact, the landowner who had the original gazebo um, really fought hard to preserve what was there. He kind of understood what it was more than other people, even though he did build a gazebo on top of it. Um, <laughs> not completely but, sensitive. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not completely insensitive. Um, so then it kind of it gets even a little bit more gruesome. So it was decided that these mounds would be destroyed, and they took out of the mounds all of the grave goods, so all the sacred items that had been buried with the dead. And they took out 19 skeletons. They put these, um, they put them on a train car. They loaded up a train car and they sent it south to the Minnesota Minnesota Historical Society in St. Paul. 
But the museum at the time, now remember this is like 1889, mm-hmm. uh, they would not take the human remains. So then they took all the stuff and they put that, you know, in the archive and they sent 19 skeletons back up on the train, in the train car, back up to White Bear Lake. And eventually the people kind of, you know, rallied and 17 of the you know, the local townspeople were like, well, this is even this is too gruesome for us. So 17 of the skeletons were then reburied at the Union Cemetery. It took me a few passes through that cemetery to find the spot where kind of the mass um, grave of these skeletons were. And then it's said that the two remaining skeletons were buried, quote-unquote, near the property, but the exact location is unknown. And um, as of this date, uh, there's there are no ghost sightings or screeches. Um, some people say that down the way in Matoska Park at the gazebo, there's uh, a few ghostly sightings there, and uh, there's just a lot of legend and lore around it. So that's my. Was this a common practice around all the lakes in Minnesota? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was very common. I think there were thousands. Let me see. There were, pro- uh, there actually have a, a quote here. 12,500 conical burial mounds built by the ancestral Dakota dotted the landscape of southern Minnesota and were particularly common in what is now the Twin Cities area. Wow. That's from the Historical Society's website. And a lot of a lot of the destruction of them was lack of understanding. People did not understand what they were. And then, of course, you also have, you know, the fact that people were devalued and it didn't seem important and we really wanted to have a beach. So we want, yeah, I, I've, been, homes want to have I've been watching the series, The Men Who Built America, on, on Discovery right now, and it's all about the pioneer days, and it shows what we did to Native Americans, and it's it's pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal, yeah, and you have, this is a very common story throughout you know American history, but um, what's interesting to me about this is that this is a lovely pedestrian path, and as I said, I came to it, I was just, you know, walking my dog one day and thought, oh, I'll read about, like, you know, it's going to tell me about this house behind me. And, um, I mean, the, skeleton, the image of skeletons being shipped down to St. Paul on a train well, and it's cool. it's back cool. up again. It's cool that they're actually telling the truth. I, I'm never going on 35E again. <laughs> I know, right. Well, it, it's a little closer to 61, okay. so you probably would be okay. So right. where, <laughs> where uh, around the lake is this path? Where did you discover this? Is the south okay, side so or...? The, um, so the path is on, it's basically between Highway 61 and the lake, and um, it's along Lake Avenue, which is kind of the main yep. uh, road. So if you're looking at White Bear Lake, I guess that's uh, the kind of kind of the southwestern part is where the lake is where the um, path starts. It starts actually all the way down by the Boatworks Commons and the docks, and then you can kind of walk up and around. Okay. And the um, path itself, or the, the plaque itself is... Um, I want to say it's like fourth and fourth and Lake, about between third and fourth and Lake, and you just—it's not real big. It's a little little stone, uh, sort of stone monument with this plaque on it, and uh, you just kind of keep your eye out for it between you and the lake, and you should be able to spot it. Well, maybe that explains the uh, the the water table issues they've had up there for the last twenty years. Maybe it's actually spirits. <laughs> well, you certainly messed with the um, the ecology of the of the place yeah for sure. <laughs> wow yeah it's pretty crazy i'm surprised they actually put that up that up to the public 
So I have, I have another question well, for you, Varla. I was reading yeah. your bio when it came up on the screen. It sounds like you grew up in the wilds of uh, urban San Francisco. How did you wind up in yeah. Minnesota? Um, well, you know, <laughs> kind of a long story, and we've only got one minute left. So maybe I'll take the fifth on that. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, was a, it was a long uh, roundabout way, but um, I, there were some opportunities that arose that allowed me to dedicate more time to writing. And uh, basically, I got kicked out of my apartment in San Francisco because of, you know, rent control and all those kinds of yep. things. And so I had to reevaluate and uh, had a friend here and had never been here before. Yeah, because so I, I, I don't think a pin this, in the map and see what happens. I don't think White Bear Lake's <laughs> on the on the radar of many people from San Francisco. No, but I have a tendency to um, look at things that are off the radar. That's sort of my specialty. So, <laughs> well, you're in the perfect state. We nominate. Well, I know they had Schwarzenegger for a governor. I was going to say we had a professional wrestler, so we were, we're used to a little bit of diversity here. Yeah, whose last name was what? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> You're not related, are you? <laughs> no, I get that a lot. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I know, I know that's not as That I know name. of. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show. Sorry about the pinch hitters. We just, and if I got Oh, you my... guys did great. Oh, I was thank listening. you very much. I, it was, um, I thought you handled it pretty well, considering that there was a lot of technical stuff. So yes, lots of technical problems. Thanks for accommodating problems. me at the end. I appreciate it. No, thank you very much for, for joining us. And All I think right. that'll do it for the Tom Bernard Show. Yep. Uh, well, we still have two oh. minutes. Oh. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> I, I guess clock, we still have two minutes I got some left. stuff to plug. <laughs> That's what that clock is. Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I want everybody to check out that video on my on my website. It's mayor mayor m a y o r of Minneapolis dot com or rocking this town. Not and then rocking is with the i n. You know, you could no come G. up with a simpler URL. Uh, Minneapolis nine one one dot com. Okay. You Can need you get... this book. You need this book.com. They all go to my website. Okay. So how's it? They, they're pretty simple, right? You need this book. Yeah. You could just do Minneapolis Nick. Nick.com. Somebody has it. Do they? Yeah. Minneapolis911.com. Okay. But they have it Nick, N I K. Yeah. yeah. Somebody or has it. Somebody has it. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody has LANick.com. Yeah. Somebody. Somebody. <laughs> somebody they, they no, it's it? the company with Nick. It's a. It's a big product, it's a big company, uh, and they're they're based out of Minnesota. Oh, oh it is yeah. funny though because you hear about that all the time, especially sports teams like the Twins, for instance. It's TwinsBaseball.com because yeah. somebody has Twins.com. Right, somebody bought it. Yeah, yeah. Nissan is that way too. It's Nissan USA because somebody really? has Nissan, they won't sell it. Well, TCF <laughs> is Twin City fan, so if you're a TCF oh, customer, you have I to am. do TCF Bank. Oh, gotcha. Because I mean, we, well, we talked about that. Remember. Uh, Thought we could make it the whole hour without having to talk about him, but our president. <laughs> you did uh, admirably well. Uh, you know, remember you brought up all those URLs? Yes. And uh, just craziness yeah. so that it would redirect to his website during the campaign? Yeah, he bought JebBush.com. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice work there. How do you, how do how do you, you not that? buy your own name? <laughs> you know, I can understand it back when Obama, Obama kind of invented the modern <laughs> campaigning techniques well, and using I, Twitter and all this stuff. But eight years later, you think you kind of like how, notice? How can Mayor of Minneapolis been available? I bought it for $9. Yeah. I bought Minneapolis 911 for $9. I bought You Need This Book for $9. Now, that that, that surprises yeah, me that because one. that's got international reach. You Need This Book. I finished it, by the way. It's very .com. good. That'll do it for See the pinch hit team for the Tom Bernard Podcast. Yeah.